Hello and welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And my name's Jason. And we're here with this week's episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. This is Our Quest for Knighthood. Our Quest for Knighthood. Yes, because I love British things, anything British. Uh-huh, yeah, and you do. I always have, and I always loved knights, mm-hmm. and knights are really cool. They are cool. They were cool and still are cool. Mm-hmm. And to become a knight, you have to do something like great for England. You have to be pretty epic, and you have to get the attention of the queen, I think. Mm-hmm. So we're really banking on the queen listening to our podcast. To this episode, hopefully. I feel like she'd be really into what we talk about. Right, well... To begin our quest for knighthood, this is our this was our idea. Like the first thing, I mean, if I made a podcast about it, that's one step towards knighthood. It's true. Which would bring me great joy in a time of coronavirus and everything being sad. Mm-hmm. So, but would she be able to still knight you from a safe distance, like a I, social distance knighting? I think she's been vaccinated, and hopefully, oh, she has if been. I was yeah. going to be a knight. Hopefully, by then, I will be vaccinated, and then we're cool. I was just thinking maybe she had to get like the longer sword, <laughs> like a big, like, long, yeah, like extra long. Sword. They have this really epic, like thirty footer for social distance. Yeah, knighting. for for COVID knighting. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, and maybe it's true. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Well, but maybe we'll find out. Yeah, maybe we will. And to do that, we have to do something great for England. Uh, and I'm planning on doing several things great for England in my lifetime. Oh yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty much great for England all the time. Yeah, I have like scheduled in my life appointment book like a few great things for England to cool. do and this is the first one <laughs> yeah our episode tribute to England so interestingly do you know why they tap you on the shoulders with a sword when you become a knight um no actually I don't know it's supposed to be the last blow you ever receive without returning it oh uh-huh. it's to say like symbolic it's symbolic like from now on you have your honor and the queen's honor is at stake. So if somebody hits you, you've got to hit them back. You have no choice. Uh huh. It's the last time you allow somebody to do that to you. That sounds intense. I know. It's kind of cool, though. It's like, I it's like cool, the metaphor It's cool, but it's there. also intense. Yeah. Hmm. And I think b- before they it was just a tap on the shoulder, they would actually hit hit you. Ow. Yeah. I, and I like it evolved into a symbolic tap on the shoulder. Oh, okay. But it was originally like a gang jump in, I guess, where they just beat the right. ass out of you. It was like you. a beat in. Yeah. The queen beat you in. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine the queen <laughs> beating you into a gang? She's pretty tough. I don't know. I feel yeah. like I could imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, she is. That is one of many useless and awesome facts that I know about England. And the reason <laughs> I know so many of those things is because I've always been fascinated with the Middle Ages Medieval England. Knights. Knights in general and swords and weaponry. Mm-hmm. And it's always been something that brings out my childishness, I think. It makes me feel, it makes me get that youthful exuberance. Right. That um supposed to go away when you're a grown up, but I like to hang on to it. I think you should keep that around. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually healthy. Mm-hmm. But it might make me look very foolish in the moment because I get excited over super nerdy things. Yeah. Well, one of those nerdy things that I've always gotten super excited over is Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. So when I was a little, very little kid, I was like obsessed with Robin Hood. I, I, I watched the, you know, the Disney cartoon with the fox. And then I watched Prince of Thieves that came out in 91 with mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. And we got it on VHS tape and I wore that tape out. I think <laughs> we had to buy another one because I, 
I loved it so much. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that I didn't know why I loved it as a kid. I just did. And as an adult, there's things, there's themes, there's things in there that I can reflect on that. Do you think it was the imagery or the storyline? I think it's both. Yeah. I really think it's both. I think the imagery caught me, you know, that magical thinking that children love. Mm-hmm. And then the storyline caught me as far as there's a lot of morality in the Robin Hood sort of tale. Right. That I think stuck with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of wanted to get into the story of Robin Hood because there's a lot of things I think uh, you and other folks might not know about Robin Hood that's fascinating. So the tales of Robin Hood begin around uh, the 1370s or so is the first known like ballads that mm-hmm. they found. And they were like little clips. They're things from other poems that mention Robin Hood. Okay. Um, But they, they don't tell a narrative story. They're just like random mentions. One of them is a thing... A poem that says people would rather listen to tales and songs of Robin Hood than attend mass. So it was like a criticism of -hmm. people listening to their local folklore Mm -hmm. um, instead of going to church, which, you know, I can imagine. Uh, Well, I would rather listen to Robin Hood than Mm -hmm. go to mass. And I believe at that point, mass was still in Latin. Most of them didn't speak Latin. So, of course, stories. Oh, that's terrible. Right. Interesting (laughs) stories about a guy in the woods being a badass was probably way more entertaining than Latin that you didn't even understand. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at this point in the Robin Hood stories, like he was just a bandit. Like he was just a bad guy. He was just some guy that lived in the woods and robbed people and kind of the sheriff was out to get him. Right. So the story Mm -hmm. evolved, but started with him just being basically a... A troll guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bad guy. He was yeah. he was a yeoman, which meant he was like uh, not noble. Um, mm-hmm. He was just some bandit guy that lived in the forest. And it was like that for a couple hundred years. It wasn't until maybe the fourteen late 1400s, maybe 1500s, before you started to get stories of Robin Hood as like a narrative story. And he becomes filled out as a character, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is interesting because around then is when you start getting he gets a lot of regard for women. Uh-huh. And his treatment of women becomes a focus of the story. Uh, he's very in love with the Virgin Mary and uh, the Maid Marian story. Right. And he does a lot for her. And so, like, Robin Hood is seen as kind of this, like... He's their catch. A chivalrous fella, yeah. Yeah, he's not just a total turd like all mm-hmm. the other men. Yeah, and then he becomes... <laughs> they He starts to become more and more of a skilled archer, and mm-hmm. he starts to become anti-clerical, so... The so church the story, is oppressive. What you're saying is the story over hundreds of years evolves mm-hmm. from him being just this like criminal hiding out in the woods, mm-hmm. stealing from people for himself, to being this romantic, yeah, archer, mm-hmm. can do anything, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of others. Yes, and it's person. about yep, and it's about that time that he gets he gets a crew. Because, you know, he needs Well, yeah, you got to have a, a posse. So the Merry Men start to show up around, like, like I said, this is probably, we're talking 15th, 16th century, so mm-hmm. around that time. So it's been a few hundred years since the original stories. Right. So time adds on all these extra things. Mm-hmm. And um, he gets, he gets you know, uh, Little John, the very familiar character. He's a big guy, but he, he gets called Little John. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets uh, Will Scarlet. Um, who's a character who first shows up. And the interesting thing about Scarlet is in the old ones, he's known as Scarlock or Scathelock for his last name, Will Scathelock, which means lockbreaker. He was a thief. Right. He was he was the cat burglar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think is pretty cool. So yeah. they, it, it di- Cute. Diversified gives you some other characters to look at. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was about like, you start to get to the 17th century 
and now they're making plays, like whole plays, and it becomes kind of tradition in some places in England to dress up as Robin Hood and the Merry Men and uh-huh. perform plays. So it's now become a full-on legend. Right. And that's kind of the Robin Hood that we know now. At this point... That was your Costner Robin Hood. Exactly. At this uh-huh. point now, he's not a yeoman anymore. He's a nobleman, and mm-hmm. he has made Marion by his side, and he robs from rich people and gives it to poor people. And I feel like Costner did a really good job. Oh, yeah. Portraying that kind mm-hmm. of character. It's a good movie. Yeah. And interestingly, it wasn't until the 1980s that you get a Muslim character joining the Band of Merry Men. Oh. So there was a British TV show called Robin of Sherwood or something like that, that had a Muslim character named Nadir or Nazir that was part of the Merry Men. Mm -hmm. And everyone loved that idea so much that that's how the character of Azim got put into Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, played by Morgan Freeman. Oh. Who, yeah. who plays the Muslim that's in the is in the Merry Men in the Kevin Costner film. So that's something that got added on way in the 1980s. Interesting. So we're still adding to the Robin so Hood So even myth. to this day, mm-hmm. the Robin Hood story and legend is still evolving. Yeah, and it's still being added to and becoming more and more based on morality and telling mm-hmm. a... Um, a tale that's good as opposed to just here's the story of this bandit, which I think is great. But how much truth is in the Robin Hood story? There actually is quite a bit of it, and there's oh, a, yeah. a lot of debate. There's if you look on Wikipedia, they have at least eight pe- historical people who they believe parts of Robin Hood could have been based on. So, oh okay, there he's most likely an amalgam of maybe these eight people, or maybe even more. There's a lot of argument on it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you have people who are named. Robert Hood and Robin was a nickname for that. Um, You also have like maybe gangs of people that call themselves Robin Hood, like as a collective. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a derogatory term. And then you have um, other figures whose name wasn't that, but whose life story fits the the story of Robin Hood very well. So you have a guy who went off to fight in the Crusades, came back. The sheriff wanted to get him. He ended up killing the sheriff and being punished. Until the king came back and gave him his lands back, which is mm-hmm. pretty much the story of Robin Hood. That has happened historically. So mm-hmm. what it seems to be is that it was a legend that began with probably one person and just steamrolled, like just snowballed into whatever it is we have now, which is pretty great. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. And that's the um, the, the general outline of how we get to Robin Hood. But here's some interesting facts. In 1953, during the McCarthy era. Uh-huh. A Republican member of the Indiana Textbook Commission called for the ban of Robin Hood in all Indiana schools for promoting communism because he stole from the rich and gave to the poor. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. No. Yeah, so... Oh, wow. So that just points out that there is a little bit of socialism slash communism happening in the Robin Hood story, if you've never Maybe thought about that. Maybe that's why we like it so yeah, much. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was That's curious funny. to know if, if anybody had ever thought of that. I had not in those terms, but mm-hmm. I mean, having it pointed out like that, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Um, So you're familiar with the Disney cartoon of Robin Hood? Remember he was a fox? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason he was a fox, I thought this was interesting, is um, they were, Disney was actually planning on doing a cartoon on Reynard the Fox. Mm-hmm. Reynard the Fox was a medieval character from like the 12th century. So we're talking before Robin Hood. Yeah. And he was an anthropomorphic fox who had a villain who was his uncle, who was an anthropomorphic wolf. And they like fought each other. And it was all mostly allegories for religion. And um, it was satire. People used it. It was like a, it was like Aesop's fables. Okay. Almost. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it was very, very popular. But he wasn't a very good hero. He was actually a trickster and kind of a dick. Uh-huh. So they, they scrapped the idea of doing a cartoon of Rainer the Fox, but they used the same drawings and outlines of the movements to then tell the story of Robin Hood. And that's why Robin Hood was a fox in the Disney cartoon. They were like, hey, we've got this fox over here mm-hmm. we're not using. Kind of looks similar. Yeah, and it's based on a medieval story. Yeah, it's very let's relatable. Make this, uh, let's make this fox Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's how I just figured because he was sly, like yeah. a fox. So well, it all sort of fit. Huh. But yeah, it was originally based on an older story that was also medieval and British. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, God Save the Queen and all that. The- and that's super interesting that Disney was involved yeah. in telling the Robin Hood story because mm-hmm. basically everything I know about England came from Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> which happens to also be a Disney. A Disney movie. Uh-huh, a, a Disney good one, story. too. This well, it actually well. was, uh, it was a book first. Was it? Yeah, it was a book and the lady did not want to work with Disney. Oh. The author, she held out for like 20 years. Really? Yeah, because... The little so Disney's daughter apparently really loved this little children's book called Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. and Walt was like, "I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a movie about this book that you love so much. I'm sure the author will be thrilled oh, when yeah, I approach that, her." That, oh, wrong! Did not go well. <laughs> it did not go well. Okay. Um, in fact, the author was like, "No, go away, Walt. I want nothing to do with you." And she held out for twenty years. Wow. Um, but he pursued, and eventually, she needed some money. <laughs> so, <laughs> he stayed on it, huh? Yeah, and wow. he uh, he got to do the film. Um, he approached her in the forties, but the film didn't come out until the sixties. Wow, twenty years—that's a lot of dedication on Walt's he, part. Yeah, no, he really wanted that movie, yeah. huh? And it was, you know, good for him because that movie um, did well, did really well. It won five Oscars uh-huh. and was kind of the stepping stone for um, Disney animation in general. Because yeah. remember, they had it was it was live, mm-hmm. but then they also incorporated the cartoons yep. and then they also incorporated incorporated animatronics. Yeah. And special and effects that like. The money that he got from Mary mm-hmm. Poppins was basically what funded that whole segment of Disney filmmaking. Wow. So the reason why we now have such epic and you know visually appealing Disney movies is in large part due to the success of Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. That's, yeah. That's excellent. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And he was also hell-bent on having Julie Andrews be... Mary Poppins. Oh, well, thank God for that. Yeah, because he had auditioned a few others, including, like, I think Bette Midler hmm. was up for the role, perhaps. Um, but he really wanted her. And he had to wait for two reasons. One, she was in the middle of a Broadway show doing something else. And two, she was pregnant. <laughs> so he had to postpone filming yeah. this movie to ensure that he could have her. Yeah, it would have been weird if Mary Poppins was pregnant. Yeah. Everybody been, been like, where's the father? <laughs> He got where's, stuck in a chimney. Where's your baby's daddy? <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, and then the role of Bert in the movie, you know, was played by Dick Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. And that actually was not Walt's first pick. Yeah, I did know that. I think it was like Cary Grant or mm-hmm. something was his I, it, first I pick. I believe it was. Yeah. And um, apparently, okay, so Julie... Uh, Andrews, she is British. Yeah. So her accent was all natural. Was real, yeah. But Dick Van Dyke's American. Yeah. And so his accent was fake and he had to practice it. Right. It was a Cockney yeah, I accent. couldn't do it. Well, apparently he got a lot of flack. Well, it's not that easy. From like real British people. 
<laughs> about how bad his accent mm-hmm. was and how insulting it was, I guess. Yeah. He actually had to come out and apologize yeah. publicly a few times <laughs> for having such a bad accent. But he said, he's like, it wasn't my fault. I swear. <sighs> my acting coach, my my accent coach was this Irish guy. Yeah. And he was just trolling. He was probably drunk the whole time, uh-huh. you know? And so that's why he sounded so. That's pretty funny. But I just assumed, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought everybody talked like that. Nah. Jim Jiminy, Jim Jiminy, Jim Jim Cherry. Yeah. You know? It's funny to me because I know that my British accent is terrible. And I know that if British people heard it, they would think it was terrible. Yeah, oh yeah. So I would never go on a movie and pretend to be a British person. But right, crikey, and you all that. You would if you got five Oscars out of it. So. And, you know, you could just issue a formal apology later for being so bad at it. I slipped into Australian and New Zealand a little That's bit That's your there. problem. Every time you try to do a British accent, yeah. it starts British and then quickly devolves into Australian. Into Australian, yeah. Yeah, and next thing you know, you're like, good day, mate. Good day. Hello. <laughs> Croc. <laughs> Crocky. Yeah. Throw another shrimp on the bob. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, that's Australian. Yeah, it's, I, I, <laughs> I always immediately devolve into Australian. Uh-huh. But I love it, and I wish I could do the British accent. I watched enough British television, you'd think I'd be able to do it well. Yeah, you'd think, but not so much. Yeah. Since this is our British episode and our quest for knighthood continues. <laughs> yes. What if I told you that we may be closer to knighthood then you realize. I would be excited. And what if I told you that there's a place you can go in North Carolina today where you can encounter people still speaking in Old English or Elizabethan English? Oh, that would be awesome. I'd want to go there after coronavirus. Well, yeah, obviously COVID is yeah. preventing travel, but there is a place you can go. That will, I will. Yeah. <laughs> So here's the story. I wanna... Here, here's what happened. What happened? What happened was in the 1700s, this guy named William Howard purchased what is now known as Ocracoke Island okay. off the coast of North Carolina. Howard was one of Blackbeard's pirates. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yar. And although he had been pardoned by King George... Howard and his pirate friends thought it best to lay low for a while, so they all gathered on this island Mm -hmm. to hide out. And they wound up settling the island, which was also home to some natives called the Wokan tribe. Huh. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah. So there they were, some natives, some English sailors, and (laughs) pirates from a variety of places all in one location on this island. And this isolated community started blending words and dialects, eventually building its own way of speaking. Hmm. And it still exists to this day. In fact, it's the only American dialect that is not identified as American. The dialect is called Hoi Toiter or High Tider, but it's Hoi Toiter. And it's described as if someone took Elizabethan English sprinkled in some Irish and 1700 Scottish accents, and then mixed it all up with pirate slang. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you can find pronunciation, grammar structures, and vocabulary on Ocracoke Island that are not found anywhere else in North America. Neat. Yeah. So the island remained pretty isolated for almost 200 years, mm-hmm. which is partly why mm-hmm. people there still to this day speak this old way Mm -hmm. 
Um, they didn't get uh, electricity to the island until the 30s. Huh. They didn't even have a ferry to the island until the 50s. And even now, they don't have a bridge yeah. that connects. If you want to visit Ocracoke, you have to take a boat. Wow. Yeah. So there's wow. people there, Still descendants. like old timey they still speak old timey uh-huh and elizabethan Neat. english and it's this like collection of pirate talk and that's old awesome. english wow which is pretty interesting so some of the words that you might hear uh-huh. on ochre coke include probably the most well-known would be ding batter ding batter which is a non-local person or <laughs> a tourist uh-huh. so if you visit you're called a ding batter okay um another one would be me honky which is a game, hide and seek. Oh, the kids okay. would play like they would go out and hide and yell, me honky. Me honky. <laughs> okay. Or you might hear somebody say, mamuck a buck before going up the beach, which translates to tease a friend before going off the island. Hmm. Or sitting on your pizer, which is sitting on your porch. Pizer. Huh. And here's what's interesting. So pizer is from the Italian word piazza, yeah. which means porch. Huh. These pirates that settled on this island were very well-traveled. Yeah, so they got all kinds of words. So they were bringing in words from Mm. all different places that they had visited that had stuck with them. Wow. And they became part of the dialect and the vocabulary of of this island. That's pretty sweet. What a cool story. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And the reason that it's called (laughs) Ocracoke is they were initially going to call it after the 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 tribe the mm-hmm. wokans but no one could pronounce it yeah and they couldn't spell it either yeah. so like over multiple generations of mispronunciations and misspellings the wokans became the ochrecook <laughs> yeah just kept just getting sort, it's yeah. like telephone yeah and so i've always found that interesting that north carolina has that connection i've known about that for a long time mm-hmm. that north carolina has this still kind of old school connection to England in that way. And so I was like, I want to look up some information just about like Elizabethan English. Yeah. So Elizabethan English in general is a linguistic period that lasted from around 1500 to 1750. Mm -hmm. The Elizabethan alphabet contains 24 letters as opposed to present day of 26. Mm -hmm. The letters U and V were interchangeable and mm-hmm. basically the same letter as were the letters I and J. Yes. Which, if you've ever seen old English yes. written, that makes sense because I've seen where it's, there's a J mm-hmm. in a word that I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's an I. Yes, they were interchangeable for sure. Yeah. And here's what I found really fascinating. So the average number of words used in a commoner's vocabulary during Elizabethan times was less than 500. <laughs> Wow. Compared with at least 7,500 words that are used in modern English. Wow. Isn't that nuts? So they just said the same thing over and over again. (laughs) Well, no, it was this entire period of like literally creating words. Yeah. So Elizabethan writers and playwrights invented new words Mm -hmm. as they wrote. Yep. Including Shakespeare. Yeah. Who invented many of the words that he used in his plays. Mm -hmm. And this was interesting. So in, not the last episode, but the one before, Knee Deep in It, Mm -hmm. that we recorded when you were talking about the British bathroom uh, issues where they would just throw Uh the chamber pot contents out the window Mm -hmm. and the... People who scraped it all off the streets were called gong farmers. Uh-huh. Gong is Elizabethan English. For gong. going. 
No, it's Elizabethan for dung. Dung. Okay. Yeah, for for feces. Wow. Gong. So gong farmers. Okay. And so there's a website called mm-hmm. uh, Elizabethan-era.org.uk. It's mm-hmm. a really cool website. It has all the Elizabethan English history, and then it has an Elizabethan English dictionary. Wow. So you can go and cool. look at old words and what they meant. Yeah. Um, some that I found interesting were Bona Raba, which was a harlot or a prostitute. <laughs> also, they called them drabs. Uh-huh. Um, drollery was a puppet show. Mm-hmm. A hot house was a brothel. <laughs> hot house. Well, a hot house. warm in there. Hallamus was All Hallows Day or uh-huh. Halloween. It's like ha- Hallamus, like Christmas and mm-hmm. Halloween mixed together. Yeah. And if someone was um, going to ear the land that was plowing. Yeah. Or if they said someone was ripe, they were drunk. Yeah. And a woodcock was a simpleton. Simpleton, you're so a woodcock. So I just sort of like scrolled through looking at all the different words and I found some like trends. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like in Elizabethan time, the things that, the words that existed had to do with either farming mm-hmm. and like land stuff. Yeah. Or archery. Yeah. Or playing the harp. Or prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, that was... A, or alcohol. Those yeah. were kind of like the, the subjects. Yeah, that's what there was to do. Yeah. You're either farming the land, having sex with a prostitute, or drinking. Or shooting your bow and or arrow. Or shooting your bow and arrow. That's about all there was to do. Or tuning your harp, apparently. Yeah, I, I think that was mostly because the people that were writing were also singing. Like, So they put, put tuning their harp in there because that's something that they did. I just find it interesting that that was the... I think it's also called the golden era. Mm-hmm. That that was when literally words were being made. Right. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, I I actually have a story that links to that about why that happened. So right before that, in 1400, you have the beginning of what they called the Great Vowel Shift. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Now, all in in most languages, vowels move up over time um, in your mouth. And I know this is a weird thing to to say, but think about it like this. So the the old English word for stone, okay, Mm -hmm. is stan. Stan. And when you say that, it's in the back of your mouth. The the A comes in the back of your mouth. Uh-huh. The way we say stone is stone. Mm-hmm. When you say that, it's a little bit more towards the middle of your mouth, the O. Right. Okay. In in England, what would they say? Stone. Stone. That's at the very front of your mouth. Uh-huh. So you hear how you went from sta to O to O. It moves forward in your mouth. That's okay. called a, a vowel shift. Now, that happened in English. It happens in a lot of language, but it happened in English around the 1400s. Okay. No one really exactly knows why, but all the, mal- all the vowels moved up one. And when that happened, it confused everything, <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it made people have to make new words. That's right. why there were so few. Well, when I was reading about the Elizabethan era language or English, mm-hmm. one of the things that kept being said was... Although it was simple, it was very confusing. Yes. So I think that's probably maybe part, part of the of reason it. why mm-hmm. is you were getting French put in there and then you were having the vowels shifted in what was essentially two generations or so, hmm. which was confusing for everyone. <laughs> right. Then you throw in the fact that not everyone could read and mm-hmm. write. And there was also just new words coming about right. literally as they were being written. <laughs> so right before all that took place... And 
we'll say in late 1300s, we'll say 1380, mm-hmm. roughly, there was a guy named Jeffrey Chaucer. You may have heard of him. He was a The name famous, rings a bell. <laughs> he was a famous <laughs> uh, poet. He wrote the Canterbury Tales right, in yeah. England. Um, the Canterbury Tales are 24 stories that run over 17,000 lines mm-hmm. in Middle English. So this is the English that came before Elizabethan. Yep, yep. And it sounds a lot different than Elizabethan English. Uh-huh. Um, I'm probably never going to get another opportunity to do this, so I'm going to recite a little bit of Middle English for you so you can get an idea (laughs) of what it would sound like. All right. So this would be the beginning of Canterbury Tales. Okay. Juan that April with the sure suite, the draught of March hath parsed to the ruta, and bathed every vine in switch liqueur, of which virtue engendered is le fleur. That would be the opening yeah. lines of Canterbury Tales. Neat. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what it would have sounded like in Middle English. It was, um, it was very. They added ease to the ends of lots of things. They were making up their own words. Mm-hmm. Um, that roughly translates to when, in the beginning of April, the drought of March was pierced by her sweet showers. Mm-hmm. It bathed every vein in water and made flowers. That's yeah. essentially what that said. Right. I knew the fleur. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds nice, doesn't yeah. it? I actually took a college class. This shows you how old I am. I went to the library what? and signed up and took a college class oh. via CDs oh. and a workbook. CD-ROMs. Yeah. They gave me CDs and a workbook. Neat. And I took a college level class on uh, medi- medieval English and Canterbury Tales. Middle English. Well, and you are such a nerd. Yeah. You, wow. Yeah. And that's how I learned that. I learned some more um, interesting things in that class. It was it was really good. Um, and it was free because the library. Mm-hmm. Socialism. Socialism. <laughs> so, um, the, but the, generally speaking, the story of Canterbury Tales, if you don't know, it's it's a like series. So the idea was he had 30 pilgrims that were on their way to St. Beckett's Shrine mm-hmm. in England. And... The idea was each one of the 30 pilgrims was going to tell two stories on the way there and two stories on the way back, which would have been a shitload of stories. Yeah. yeah. He didn't write that many at all. He died before he wrote all of them. Mm -hmm. So what we have of Canterbury Tales is very incomplete, and it's from different source materials, different manuscripts. So there's a lot of argument about the order and all that stuff, and some of the tales aren't finished right but it would have been awesome had he written them all because they're pretty freaking great right so the general outline like you have i'm just going to go ahead and list some of the tales so you have like the general prologue then you have the knight the miller the reeve the cook the man of laws the wife of bath summoner clerk squire franklin nun there are tons of them and there's 30 and those are all the pilgrims that are on their way. And so they're each going to tell a little tale. Mm-hmm. Now, all the tales have their own like pluses and minuses. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And um, some of them are just kind of propaganda. So I just wanted to go over two of them that I think you're going to find interesting stories to give you an idea of what's in the Canterbury Tales. Okay. Because I think a lot of people know what it is, but don't know what's in it. Yeah, I'm one of those. Okay. So just a, a brief thing. They... The first story is the night story generally agreed on because it links to the prologue. Like there's lines that connect it. So it's universally agreed that's the first story. And the night story is pretty boring. It's just two brothers fighting over a girl and they have a tournament. It's pretty stupid. Yeah. But it immediately links to the Miller's Tale, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is definitely the second one. And it's the one that gets good. So let me tell you the tale of the Miller's Tale. Okay. So it's the story of a carpenter, a carpenter named John. And he has a very young, pretty wife. Okay, she's much younger than him. 
And there's two men that want to sleep with his young wife. Her name is Allison. It's spelled different, but it's Allison. Uh-huh. It's spelled like A-L-I-S-O-U-N. Allison. Allison. Allison but mm-hmm. I just call her Allison. So John needs some extra money and he decides to rent out a room. And he rents out a room to a guy named Nicholas, who's a scholar, and Absalom, who's a clerk. So Absalom and Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Um, he rents a room to him and they like fall in love with his wife, Allison. And one day John has to take a day trip to a nearby town and Nicholas grabs Allison by the kunt. By the kunt? Yeah. The word, <laughs> this is the quote. By the Q-U-E-Y-N-T-E. Oh. And it's pronounced kunt. Oh my. And it means exactly what you think it means. Wait, so is uh-huh. Donald Trump chaster? Yes. <laughs> yes. Basically, <laughs> Nicholas pulled a Donald Trump ah. on Allison. And, Women love that. And grabbed her. Well, here's the thing. She threatens to tell, but Nicholas cries and uses his his scholarly ways to seduce her. And what? so she agrees to have an affair with him. Oh. So he grabs Allison. her by the, the quint. The quint. <laughs> and, and she's like, I'm going to tell on you. And he's all like, oh. And he cries and somehow seduces her. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. And so she's like, Maybe okay. Maybe she was into man babies. <laughs> yeah. So she says, like, we can have an affair. So then she goes to church one day and Absalom sees her in church and falls like so head of her heels for her. He starts like giving her gifts and singing <laughs> songs under her window. <laughs> uh-huh. And she's like rejecting him because she's like, I'm already having an affair with Nicholas. And I still have to sleep with my husband, John, sometimes. Like, this is too much. <laughs> Poor Allison. I know. So then... Nicholas really wants to spend a night with Allison. He's like, I, I don't, I hate this, like having to wait till John goes out of town. This is terrible. I'm going to come up with a scheme. And he tells John, like, hey, man, I had this terrible vision from God that a flood is coming, big flood. And God said, we can survive the flood if we hang some tubs from the rafters of your barn mm-hmm. with ropes and we put an axe in there and we get in the tubs. And then when the waters come, we can chop the ropes, cut a hole in the roof and float away and we'll live. And John's like, oh, yeah, okay. He believes it for whatever reason. (laughs) Sure, man. Sounds good. So they set the tubs up and they all go to sleep. And then Nicholas and Allison sneak out and go into the house and have sex in John's bed. Ew. Which is is pretty dirty. Yeah. Wow. So that same night, though, the other guy, Absalom, comes and he's knocking on the window and he's begging Allison for a kiss. And she, he just won't let up. And she's like, fine, whatever. You know, stick your face up to the window. Uh-huh. And she sticks her ass out the window. And he ends up kissing her right on the butt. It actually <laughs> says on her butthole is what it says in the poem. <laughs> just it, so you know. Does the, was butthole a word? Yes. Oh. Yes, it was. Okay. So that's what it says. <laughs> so see, he's mad about that. He's like, I wanted to kiss not on your ass. Uh-huh. So he gets mad. He goes to the smith and he gets a red hot poker. And he's like, next time she sticks her ass out the window, I'm going to stick her with the poker. Mm. So she no- he knocks on the window. And this time, Nicholas is awake. And he's like, oh, man, this, this dude won't go away. I got it. I'm going to stick my ass at the window. So he sticks his ass out the window and farts thunderously in Absalom's face. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. And Absalom takes the poker, sticks it into Nicholas's butt. Oh, and no. And Nicholas yells, water, water, water. He's freaking out. He's yelling, water. Because there's a hot poker in his ass. Uh-huh. This wakes up the husband, John, who's in the barn, asleep in the tub. And he hears somebody yelling, water, water, water. So water. he thinks this flood's coming. Thinks the flood's coming, chops the ropes, 
falls down from the tub and breaks his arm and makes a loud enough crash that brings all the townsfolk running. Oh, no. When the townsfolk get there, Nicholas is laughing his ass off and is like, I just farted in this dude's face and he shoved the hot poker in my ass. And Allison's just like, this whole thing is ridiculous. And everyone laughs at John. And that's the story. And that's it. That's the Miller's Tale. The it's, end. It was supposed to be a joke, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's a hilarious story. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Did you like? Did you have any idea that that was one of the Canterbury Tales? No, I just figured they were all like prim proper stories Mm-mm. about old English. No, people using you know little nope horse and buggies. There and is farting in people's and faces and Donald red Trump hot grabbing pokers her, in your ass. Grabbing her, yeah. Grabbing so, her by the coon. Yeah. And the, the the I guess the moral of the story was that Absalom never got to kiss her, even though he wanted to. When Nicholas cheated, he got a hot poker up the ass, and John got laughed at by everybody for being stupid enough to fall for the yeah for the the story. So it was kind of a, a tale of like, be careful, you know? Yeah, like, or like how one bad decision mm-hmm. just spirals into <laughs> yeah. multiple. And it's kind of just an elaborate fart joke. I mean, yeah. there's that too. That's that's true. I think the whole point of that story was to be funny. Mm. So I like it. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. And then the next story that I was going to tell from there that's actually really good is The Wife of Bath. So first of all, her prologue is longer, is almost twice as long as the general prologue to her poem. So it's the longest chunk. Um, describing her because she is a character. So she's been married like 10 times mm. and she's bragging about how like she worked her last four husbands to death in bed. He like, <laughs> he made them, they made them like, she made them like churl was the word or like sw- swithe or whatever in bed so much that they, they died. So wow. she's an interesting character mm. Um, as a, just general she's a character. Vixen. Mm-hmm. And she's a lot of times arguing about how men aren't as good at women and stuff. Mm-hmm. She's a very loud, outspoken lady. So when she does get to telling her story, her story goes a little something like this. There's a knight in King Arthur's time who rapes a young maiden, okay? Mm -hmm. The knight is captured, and they're going to sentence the knight to death, but Queen Guinevere intervenes and says like, hey, King Arthur, could I instead sentence him instead of you? And King Arthur's (laughs) like, okay, sure. (laughs) And she says, I'll spare you if you come back in one year and tell me exactly what a woman desires. So he has one year to go out and figure out exactly what a woman wants. Uh And if he can do that, she'll spare his life. So he travels far and wide and asks every woman what the answer to the question what a woman wants would be. And he gets a different answer from every woman, which is hilarious Uh because I think that's what would really happen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The knight comes across an old magic woman. First, he sees these 24 maidens and they're all naked. And then when he gets there, it's an old woman. So it's like a Why are they all naked? What? Yeah, they disappear and it's like an old lady. And he's like, oh, Oh, it was an illusion. Yeah, she's magic. And he's like, oh, she's old and magic. So she must be wise. So maybe she could tell me. And she's like, yeah, I'll tell you. But if you agree to fulfill a little promise for me in the future, like I'm going to come ask you for a favor and you got to agree to it. And he's like, okay. So she tells him and he decides to go back to the the court and, and to say, hey, I've figured out what women want. And he tells them that women want sovereignty over their husbands. And all the women's in the courts agree. That's a good answer. Yeah. And they decide to let him go. They're like, that's a good answer. They let him go. Then the old woman comes to the court and tells the court about their agreement. Mm-hmm. And it's like, here's the thing. I want to marry the knight. Like, I want to marry him. That's what I want as my favor. And the knight's like, shit, he doesn't want to. He's like grossed He's out like, by it. She's like 300 yeah, years Yeah, I got to marry this old witch. But he agrees to it. fingernails are like foot long. Yeah, he agrees to it. So on their wedding night, they're in bed. And she's like, why are you so disgusted by my body? Yeah. 
She's like, get over here and love yeah. on these wrinkles. Yeah, and he's grossed out by it. So ah. she's like, why are you grossed out by it? And he's like, he's like, ah, because your breasts are touching your knees. Yeah, you're super old. And she says, well, think about this. I'll never cheat on you. And you'll never have to worry about men trying to take me away from you. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, what do you think you would prefer? A wife who's faithful or a wife who's beautiful but might not be faithful? And he says, the decision is up to you. And she says, aha, I'm going to give you both. And she turns into a beautiful and faithful woman who he now gets to be with because he granted her the thing that all women want, sovereignty Sovereignty. over their husbands. Uh So it's kind of a... It's a think about this. This is like a 1300 sort of moral story about equality for women, which mm-hmm. I find very fascinating. There's been a lot of feminist re- literature on the topic of the lady from Bath's Tale. Some of them say it's bad. Some tell it, say it's good. I mean, there's positives and negatives. But in any, any case, it was an argument for equality and for husbands not ruling over their wives. And to think about the time period written that, in that was 1380. written. 1380. I can't even imagine that. How did he have that thought? I know. You know? Isn't that spectacular? Written by a man as well. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of interesting uh, writing about that particular story. And if you really want to look it up, look up The Wife of Bath's Tale, and you can find a lot of fascinating stuff about it. Very interesting. It's a pretty cool story, right? It's like, whoa. Yeah. Well, there are a lot more stories, and maybe I'll tell some more at a later date. Mm. But uh, those are two of the really good ones, and you—I don't want to spoil it either. So, yeah, if, no, definitely. If you're out there, you should definitely look them up because they're fascinating. Even just summaries of them. Some the stories are just crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of them are really just elaborate fart jokes. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much uh, the stories that I have from Canterbury Tales. Nice. Yeah, I don't just love Canterbury Tales and Robin Hood, though. There's tons of British things that I've always loved, Um, like pop culture things. I love Ricky Gervais, and Mm -hmm. The IT Crowd is a great show that I loved. And I'm pretty sure you also love Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, Black Sabbath is Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite bands. Like, what are some pop British stuff that you like? Well, aside from my um, Mary Poppins Mm -hmm. adoration, I really like... Uh, Robbie Williams, mm-hmm. who is this like pop star sensation in the UK mm-hmm. that didn't quite translate to being yeah. an American sensation. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of got a little bit known here, yeah. but not nearly yeah. like he is in the UK. You're also a big fan of Bowie. Bowie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Um, And then just the the Queen. The queen herself. She's the queen fantastic. Like, she's, she's neat. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really know a whole lot about her. Mm-hmm. But the whole concept of a royal family. Oh, it's fascinating. It's just, it's super fascinating and interesting and um, can suck you in because it's so not American. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> you know? fascinating to me about it. It's so not American and it's older than us. Like all this stuff yeah. is older than we ex- have ever existed as a country. And yeah. that's like hard to wrap your brain around when you're talking about stuff that happened in 1200 and 1000 and yeah and yeah. it's just interesting too when when i think about england and then i think about america and like we came from there and in many ways we're still very similar mm-hmm. but we're also kind of not yeah and a lot of times too i think some of the the ways that we're not similar are very small mm-hmm. that you wouldn't notice unless you were in england or mm-hmm. an english person was in america yeah so there's a YouTube channel called Lost in the Pond, uh-huh. and it's this British guy who moved to the U.S., Yeah, and 
basically it's just videos of him talking about little things that he's noticed that are different in the States. Nice. That most English people probably wouldn't even think of and vice versa. Mm -hmm. If we were to go to England, we wouldn't think of. So I watched a video recently where he talked about differences in British bedrooms compared to U.S. bedrooms. And I was like, how can there be different? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a bedroom. Like, right? you know, aren't they kind of the same? I, I would think so. For the most part, they are. But there's like little things that are different. So, for example, and this is very American, which I didn't realize, but we use top sheets mm-hmm. on the bed. So, like, we have the fitted sheet and then we have a top sheet and then we have our comforter or uh-huh. quilt above that. It is very American to use a top sheet. Okay, so they just go fitted straight to comforter? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? But it's not just the UK that does that. Um, that's kind of like a lot of the rest of the world doesn't well, use a, a top sheet. Well, I think maybe it's because it gets really hot here sometimes, and so we got to like just have the sheet. Actually, that's part of it, but there's also the thinking that we use the top sheet in lieu of using... A duvet. That's true. Which duvets are what you would find more common mm-hmm. in England, mm-hmm. which is the cover over the comforter right. that you can take off and clean. Yeah. So it's thought that like the top sheet is what keeps your comforter clean from yeah. your gross bodiness. <laughs> from your gross body. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that's a little different in the bedroom would be in the US, we have closets. Mm-hmm. Like you walk into and you hang up your clothes in yeah. the room. They don't really do closets over there. They have wardrobes. Wardrobes, yeah. Yeah. So just little things. Also, box springs. We use box springs in the U.S. to put underneath the mattresses to keep the lifespan of the mattress longer. Yeah. They don't use box springs really Mm. in the U.K. They just put it on a hard surface. Hmm. Just so like little like things that you wouldn't even think of, I guess. Yeah. So I find that. That kind of stuff is neat to me. I had an experience when I was younger where we had a, a, a guy come stay with us for a month that was from England. Mm-hmm. And the, the funniest story I have from it was we were watching the fireworks on 4th of July. Um, <laughs> How did he feel about that? Yeah, in Charleston. So we're in downtown Charleston. We're watching. They're shooting the fireworks off the barge. We've all been talking and drinking, and everyone around us clearly knows that this is a British guy that's with us. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of quiet because we're all watching the fireworks. And I just turned to him and I was like, Hey, man, does this remind you of the time we kicked your ass in that war? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, you know, he was like, Ah, and he, we, you know, we kind of play fought for a second. It was sort of a. You had a little battle. A little friendly uh, ribbing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was just a funny moment. Everyone turned and looked, too, as soon as they heard it, because it was like, oh, shit, did he just say that? Oh, and also, apparently, that uh, there's a store. So we have the Dollar Tree mm-hmm. or Dollar General in the yeah. U.S. Apparently, in, in England, they have Pound Town. <laughs> Pound Town. Pound Town. Yeah, and we find that hilarious. Yeah, because we're going to take you down to Pound Town later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, also... We wear fanny packs. Yeah. And fanny mm-hmm. is uh, the word for yes. vagine mm-hmm. in England. Yeah. So little things like that interest me. Also, they call it a flat and not like a house or a park. They call it a flat. They call the driveway the parkway. The parkway. Um, Which makes more sense. It does actually make way more sense. <laughs> but some people here in America, we have driveways that are so long, you actually have to drive on them. Yeah. I don't think they have that there really. Right. I guess they do in rural England. And I've heard that, I guess in England, it's sort of opposite. Like the the fancy part, 
what we would consider the north is like southern England. Mm-hmm. And then what we would consider the rural part, like our south, is their northern England. Yeah, and it's that's like where you get like kind of the differences in the accents. Yeah, I go, <laughs> I can barely tell they have different accents, but apparently to them it's very dramatic. I notice it, but it's not, um, I don't feel like an I don't feel like I can easily pick it out mm. just hearing it. Um, also, pants. So in England, pants is your underwear. Yeah. So if you're saying like, I got to change my pants yeah. or, you know, I got to, I'm taking my pants off. You're mm. basically saying I'm taking my underwear off. Yeah. And underwear is knickers. Knickers. And then what we think of as pants would be trousers. Trousers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's just, that's weird. It's just, it's just, I don't know. Those little things and like. They don't call French fries French fries. They call them chips. Yeah. And then they don't call chips chips. They call them crisps. We call them freedom fries. Freedom fries. <laughs> well, we uh, love British stuff so much we named our kitty cats after the royal family, actually. We did. We have little William and Harry. William and William Harry. William and Harry. Yes, the princes. I sometimes do call them Harry. Yeah. Hey, like, Harry. Harry. Yeah, he's sweet. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they're great. And They're doing well. So we have the three, the trio that we adopted in, I guess it was September. Yeah, this is our kitty cat corner. Yeah, welcome to kitty cat corner. They're doing great. It's a kitten update for you guys. The three are doing very well. So we have William, Harry, and Erlene, mm-hmm. the little girl. They all got fixed about, what, a week, two weeks ago? Yeah. Maybe week three. And a half. Maybe yeah. three weeks, actually. Yeah. Um, and that went well. Oh, yeah. They're doing fine. They're doing fine. And they're all a little past six months <laughs> yeah, old at this adorable, point. They're adorable. And they they're... still come as a group. And they're getting really big. Yeah. And um, when they were real little, when I would feed them, they would fall asleep afterwards. Mm-hmm. Their little tummies would be full. And they'd go like, I need to take a nap. So I would, would feed them to make them sleep. Yeah, it doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> no, now when I feed them, it's like they're energized. Yeah. And they run from one end of the house mm-hmm. to the other end of the house for hours. You know, Erlene's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So I've come up with a nickname for her. I call her Teeny Weeny Leeny. Teeny Weeny Leeny. She likes that. And she is so cute. And she has her own little personality. She loves the plastic cap holder thing from uh, water bottles or milk jugs. Yes. You know, the little strappy plastic part that comes off. A little circular the tab. cap. Yeah. Yeah. She loves those things. And she will stash them. I found two of them in my backpack. I found one in my shoe. Yeah, I found one in my shoe too. <laughs> She'll stash them in places around the house mm-hmm. where she knows she can go find them later. It's it's adorable. It's precious. And mm-hmm. she also likes to play fetch with them. Mm-hmm. She The other night she was bringing one up in the bed and I started tossing it off the bed into the floor and she'd go get it and then she'd bring it back That's and I'd adorable. throw it. And it was so cute. She's awesome. so cute. Well... That's awesome. And yeah, we love them. And William and William and Ari are doing great. And Winston is doing great as well. Winston yeah. is the other kitty. He's, he's our he's one. our old man. We kitty. have a lot of cats. Mm-hmm. And if you're still listening, I, we really appreciate it because 
I know this was a longer episode. Um, we just had a lot to say. We about have a lot England. of British things and to I'm, say. And I'm thinking this may become a like a two or three parter eventually. Yeah. We might have to follow up because there's still more. But I, we really appreciate all the people that we have listening. We just recently passed 2,000 downloads, which is mm-hmm. something that I would have never guessed no. would have even happened when yeah. we started doing this. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In all honesty, I was shocked. Yeah. And everybody who's listening, I just want to say I love you guys and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. Any feedback you have, we would love to hear. You can always find us on our website. Carolinasnowflakes.com You can also hit us up on Facebook. That's where most people communicate. We would love to hear from you there. Facebook.com forward slash Carolina Snowflakes. And you can send us an email if you want to be a little bit weirder about it. Uh, that'd be cool too. <laughs> Tell us how terrible our British accents were. I would were. love to hear that. Carolina Snowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Cheerio! Cheerio!